Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you may be. This is Snapshots in Hockey History. And happy Monday. Welcome to another episode of Snapshots in Hockey History, where we relive the hockey highlight reel. My name is Brett Small. Thanks for joining us. As always, let's get the boring stuff out of the way first. Snapshots in Hockey History is a listener-supported podcast brought to you free of charge every single Monday and Thursday at 8 a.m. I will never ask you for a dollar out of your pocket for this podcast. But if you want to do something nice, you want to give us a hand, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You can also leave one on Facebook. Speaking of Facebook, don't forget to follow us on Facebook at Snapshots in Hockey History and on Twitter at Snapshots In. I hope everybody enjoyed our episode last week with Chris Dingman. He was awesome. I definitely want to go ahead and connect with him down the road. I mean, he had a pretty extensive career, so there's a lot more stuff we could do. This week, we've got Daniel Bouchard, former NHL goaltender. He played with the Winnipeg Jets, the Atlanta Flames, Calgary Flames, and of course, the Quebec Nordiques, where he really had a lot of success. We focused this interview around his time with the Atlanta Flames when they moved to Calgary and then kind of getting traded to Quebec. He tells a pretty funny story about how he negotiated his own trade for Quebec. It's definitely something that was kind of different. I actually was a little hesitant to release this episode this week. I actually recorded it all the way back in probably August. It was one of the first episodes I did. And when I went back and kind of listened to it this past week, I was kind of disappointed with the quality and and not so much the quality of the interviewee. I thought Dan was a great guest. It was just the recording quality and my questions and things like that. But he tells some pretty good historical stories. He talks about Al McNeil, who at the time was the coach of the Atlanta Flames. He actually makes Al kind of sound a little uh, little crazy. But he also talks about Cliff Fletcher, talks about David Poyle a little bit. And of course, you know what it was like going to Calgary for the first time and, and kind of how all that went down. So definitely some really, really good stuff in here. So I didn't want to just shelve this thing and delete it, but it's definitely not one of our best produced interviews by any means. So I apologize to all of you for that, but I still think there's a lot of good content in this interview. In part one, he tells a really, really good Jim Craig story, which if you're a USA hockey fan and remember the miracle on ice, this was right when all that kind of it just happened and Jim had just signed with the Atlanta Flames. Dan actually walks us through Jim Craig's first few days with the Atlanta Flames. And it's pretty interesting definitely to hear. And you kind of hear how much of a miracle it really was is Jim really struggled during his time in the NHL. In part one, he also tells us about his trade to the Quebec Nordiques. And then in part two, we pick up the Quebec Nordiques piece. And we that is a little bit more like a traditional snapshots and hockey interview where we kind of review from his time there. We talk about some of the players, talk about the Stasnies, just topics that we typically cover. So anyways, let's go ahead and get to the interview with Dan Bouchard. I believe it's 1979 and mm-hmm. you've been in Atlanta. You were the, one of the first guys in the flames organization. What was playing for Atlanta? Like, well, it was really neat because uh, they took us in as uh, the new sports in town. The hockey was completely unknown in the South and the locals just fell in love with us. And it went very, very well. You know, the first, the first year we fought for playoff, then we made the playoff just almost every year. And we were kind of the winning team in Atlanta. Well, weren't you guys outdrawn the basketball team at one point? The Flames supported basketball for about six years. It seems like the Atlanta Flames in March of 80 got a huge pop in the media when Jim Craig comes to play for the team. And he mm-hmm. only played in a few games. And I'm curious, you were the starting goalie at the time. 
How mm-hmm. does Jim Craig coming to the Atlanta Flames impact you guys? It didn't impact us per se. It impacted the NHL more than it impacted us because when Jim Craig showed up here, first of all, you know, if the USA Hockey would have been smart, they would have taken the, all those players aside and brief them and prepare them for what was going to happen. Sure. And there was, I think, only one guy that was really on the ball about everything was Urizioni. Was Urizioni, yeah. Because all the other guys, they were thrown to the wolves. Yeah, absolutely. And Jim Craig came here, and then we want to have a practice, and there was a big hoopla. We were already selling out, so we sold out the game. And now we're going to play him a game against Colorado, but... When he first came here, the first two practice, we had shootouts. I'll give you an example of how big the miracle was. We had a shootout, and the guys, Phil Russell goes to Jim Craig, and he says to Jim, uh, he says, okay, you have a choice. You want to go in, in goal first, or you want Danny to go in goal first? Then we had another goalie, Reggie Lemlin. So he says, oh, let Danny go in. So I go in, and I take the, nine, the 20 players out on, and I give one goal out of 20 pretty damn good so he comes out and says, oh that's not too bad and when he said that you know the guy says what do you mean not too bad shit one out of 20 i says yeah so he gave it up he gave up 17 and two goal posts oh my god and he stopped one so you know he looked at me and he says oh this is a different league yeah i says yeah this is a different league and i says look you just learn it and i says just be be yourself that next night, we had the, the game against Colorado. We won 5-3. It was televised. It was a, for a Coca-Cola commercial. And then we won that game. So, you know, Freddie Creighton says, uh, the, whoever was the, the, G, the coach was, uh, well, I know that Al McNeil did not take the decision. So Cliff Fletcher says, we're going to put Jim Craig against the Islanders. We go to Long Island a Tuesday, three days later. And there's four minutes in the game. It's five nothing for the Islanders. The the coach comes in and he says, "Danny, uh, you better get in the net." So I'm putting my mask on, and Jim Craig is doing uh, a celebration. He's starting to skate around the rink. Oh my god! Waving at everybody, and Al Arbor is just going crazy. He says, "Danny, go and get him. Danny, go and get him." And I said, "Al, what do you want me to do?" And then there was a guy that had a, a defenseman that played in the Olympic team that was with them. Kenny Morrow, right? Kenny Morrow. Kenny yep. started to start went right behind him and pushed him all the way along real fast. <laughs> she says, "Hey, this is not this is not time for that now. You just give you no. Know, you just got destroyed. You just." But anyway, so anyway, we played, and we know we won that game, 8-7. But the whole idea was, after that, he never played again. I was to say, he only played a couple games in Atlanta and then was shipped yeah, yeah. off. After that, he never played again. And then we, he went the year after when we moved to uh, Calgary. Well, uh, Cliff uh, traded him to Boston. He ends up going to Boston. This is a great segue, I guess, into Calgary right now. The team basically gets sold to Nelson Scalbania, who was kind of a, I mean, how would you describe that guy for people who might not know who he is? Well, Nelson Scalbania, before I went to Calgary with Willie Platt, so we can go and look at housing and see what we had to go there. Sure. So me and Willie get on the plane and all that. And Willie was saying, uh, I was at the airport. That's in the old days. There's no checkout, nothing. I'm, a, I'm sitting at the gate. 
and I'm talking with this guy in Vancouver who own IntraWest. IntraWest is a big ski resort company all across Canada. I knew the per the guy very, very well. And I says, look, uh, his name was Mr. Ferris. He, he live in Vancouver. And I says, who is Nelson Scalbania? Oh, he says, he's your new boss for two months. For two months? And I says, what are you talking about? He says, he's going, he flipped that team. He says, I bet you he doesn't own any more than 10% of the team anymore. I says, he is just that type of guy. He says, every time he buys something, I get right behind him and I end up buying the deal and making five times the money that he should have made because he cannot finish anything. Oh. And he started to tell me about this and about that. And he says, he's going to try to impress you. He's going to probably... He says, where are you with your contract? I says, well, that's my last year of my contract. Oh, he says, he's going to try to impress you in front of everybody. He says, "There's this, he gave me the book on it. So I go to Calgary and, uh, you know, there I am sitting there with Cliff and we're looking at housing and they had all the people from real estate come over here and look at all the guys' houses and they say, oh, we'll buy your house. And then when you move to Calgary, whatever money you got, we'll put that on the down payment for your new house in Calgary. Sure. And it was crazy. It didn't make sense. The house I live in, I'm, that I'm still living in right now, when I went to Calgary, the same house was almost a million dollars. And over here, I had paid $130,000 and I had two acre lot. And, you know, I refurbished the house, but, you know, I did some work on it, but... The, the whole idea didn't make sense, you know. All of a sudden, I'm going to have, I got an $80,000 mortgage, and all of a sudden, I'm going to go to Calgary, and I'm going to have $848,000 mortgage. And is this because Calgary is just going through such a boom period right now with the yeah, oil? Yeah, that, and- was a, that was an oil boom. And I asked, you know, Mr. Ferris guy, I says, what about, he says, don't buy, don't buy. He says, it's going to collapse because he says they don't have an end user for the tar sand and the oil and everything. Well, you pretty much nailed it on Nelson because he sold 50% of the team as soon as he bought it. With oh, tra- yeah, yeah. Oh, no, no, you were right. You were right. But, you know, that night that we first look at all the houses and we're sitting there in Nelson's Galbania, I says, Danny, I know you're a free agent at the end of this year. I'll give you a two-year contract and an option for so much. I said, okay, Nelson, that's a good deal. I says, look, I'm going to do something better with you. I says, I'm going to take that deal. And I says, if by Christmas you don't own 50%, they're going to triple the years, the amount of years where it would have been nine years. And I says, you're going to triple the amount of money. And he went ballistic. <laughs> and Willie was kicking me under the table. And Willie was going, boosh. And no, Cliff looked like death warm over, as white as a sheet. We get on the elevator, Cliff says, you sure have a big mouth, huh? <laughs> I says, no, I'm well informed. I says, information makes it different than what you're going to say. Absolutely. And I said, look, I says, we left a beautiful building. We we're going to play in this dump for three years, right. four years. And I says, who are you kidding, Cliff? I'm going to have an $83,000 mortgage. I'm going to come here and have an $800,000 mortgage. I said, if I end up upside down, I says, who's going to pay for me uh, being bankrupt? Me he said, oh, that won't happen. Oh, that won't happen. I ended up going to Calgary. So you get up to Calgary, 
And training camp starts September 17th, 1980. There's 57 players squeezed into this barn that, yeah. as you mentioned, is tiny. It only seats like 6,500 people. Al McNeil, the coach at the time, said there were the four or five spots that were open because a couple guys didn't come make the trip. What, what are your memories from that first camp in Calgary? Well, that first camp in Calgary, you know, he brought a guy called Pierre Paget that was in college with him. He ended up being my boss in Quebec. I went to training camp that year and everybody was running and I was running and I had gotten hurt the year before when I got ran into the net. I had a little uh, twinge in my neck and they had, they had to take a small piece of cartilage out. But And he wanted me to run. I said, I'm not going to run. I'll do all the biking I can. But I said, right now I can't do high impact stuff. So I did exactly that. So he turns around and he says to me, he says, uh, Al McNeil comes over to me and he says, who are you? I said, I'm Dan Bouchard. I played the whole year for you with you last. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, didn't he coach you the previous year in Atlanta? Oh, well, shoot. The first time I met him and I introduced myself to him in, in Atlanta, he didn't even know. You know, I had met his wife and his daughter here at my house because they came here to swim. And I went back to the house and he didn't even know who I was. <laughs> what? No, no, no. He was he was very, very absent. He was his mind was never there. So anyway, so I did training camp, and then this, the team starts so and so. You know, we were just running, and all of a sudden, uh, it's about middle November. I start. You no, know, I was playing, and I started to uh, to play real well, and then I got player of the week, and I got this, and then. When I started, and I saw I was starting to play much better, I went to see Cliff, and I said, hey, Cliff, look, I really don't believe, because Norman Green, who was one of the owners, Dan, with the Siemens, had called me in, and he said, Danny, look, we'll give you a brand new house, we'll pay for half the mortgage on the house, uh, we'll do ABCD, and we'll give, you, we'll give you a three-year contract if you stay here. And I says, Norman, look, it's a great offer, but I says, you got to understand, when you play pro sports, you want to win. Sure. And I says, we've been on a winning team, but when somebody told me one day that Cliff Fletcher told him that he's got the guy that's going to make us win was Al McNeil, I says, I don't believe in that leader. I don't think we're going to win anything with him. I said, why doesn't he trade me? Uh, he says, okay, well, very good. I'll talk to him. So anyway, the next day I go to the rink and Cliff calls me in. He was with David Poyle and David Poyle we can't get fuck all for you, you know, and he's got nothing for you. And he says, you know, I said, well, look, you can say what you want. I know my value. Wait a second. You're a top goalie in the league. You're one of the original guys on the flames. Oh yeah. And they can't find anybody that would. No, these, they both told me Cliff and David Poyle says to me, nobody really wants you and this and that. And I says, well, I says, I understand that. I understand next year's free agency. Nobody would want to trade for me than not have me on their team next year. Okay, that makes sense. So it wasn't necessarily... Okay, so I says, yeah. I see that point of view. But I said, there's always a way around that. If I go for a team that's in real need of a goaltending and that team picks up, I says, all of a sudden, that gives the team a better value. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, going into December, you're still on the flames. You didn't play much during November and December, I guess take it from here because your trade comes up shortly thereafter. How did the trade go yeah. down? Then middle of December, started to play real well and really playing well and things are going really hot. 
And then that's when that Norman Green called me uh, around 17 of December. And he says, you know, he says, wow, he says, uh, you know, Cliff says we should try to resign you. I, I saw Cliff. I said, yeah, Cliff would like to resign me and trade me. I said, that's fine. If that's the purpose, tell me. Just trade me. Don't try to give me A, B, C, D because right. the house is not going to benefit me if I get traded. Right, right. So he says, he looks at me again and he says, oh, okay, I get your point of view. Then nothing happened. I played and it's about January. Oh, I remember in January I had a streak. It was seven or eight games. I was player of the week, one week, then the week after I was not, then I was a player of the week. And then I'm getting around the 21st, 22nd of December, and all of a sudden I go to the rink and I go and see uh, Cliff. And, you know, I found out that David Poyle had gone away. He had gone to Finland to scout. So there was the open door. David not being there, that was my open door. I went to see Cliff and... I pull in there and I says, Cliff, look, you gave me that baloney last month. You couldn't trade me. I says, I'm going to challenge you. I says, I think I'm a better GM than you. I'm going to trade my. <laughs> and how did Cliff respond to that? Cliff says, oh, you think everybody's going to break my door down to have you and all that and this and that? You think that, huh? You think you're really smart. You know, you got a big mouth on you, you know? I says, I got a big mouth, but I says, I know what I'm worth. So I says, I'll challenge you. Get Let me have two phone calls to two different teams. All right. After that, you'll never hear the end of it if it doesn't work. Who are the two teams that you go to call? So he says, oh, you think you're real smart. And David Poyle not being there, David Poyle would have never agreed to that. Because David Poyle had a little bit more to say that, you know, he, always, he would always put sense back into Cliff. Okay. So he was like his peanut butter to his jelly. Yeah. And he was, you know, he was really, he was my hurdle. Got it. So he's gone. So Cliff says, okay. And White, who had come from Atlanta to be a secretary to a, he says, okay, you go and see Han. We walk in hands. Look, Danny's allowed to make two calls. Just you call whichever team he wants to call whichever GM he wants to call, he's allowed to call, that's it. No more. She says, okay, Cliff. So I sit there and she looks at me and says, what's going on? So I'm trying to trade myself. <laughs> you what? So I'm trying to trade myself. So he's going crazy. She's going crazy. No way. I says, yeah, I just got the league, you know, info from yesterday. It was Monday. And I says, look, I said, I'm looking at this team here, and I says, uh, we're going to call this team first. I says, uh, they're in very tough position. The general manager's in worse position than anybody else. And I says, let's call them. She says, ooh, Quebec Nordique. She says, they're 21 out of 21. <laughs> I says, yeah, 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 yeah. But I says, it's not that bad. I says, look, they got Ogunson coming back. They got Moose Dupont coming back. They got Tardif coming back. Alain Cote. And I said, another guy, you know, Jacques Richard's coming back from an injury. And I says, my son, so you think that team would put in Jack, no, 40 years of experience. I says, I think we're going to do real well. I says, we're only 18 points behind Hartford and there's 29 games. So she says, no, after tonight, there's 28 games. I says, okay, and you're right. 
I says, let's call there. So she picks up the phone, call Quebec, and they pick up. This is Quebec Nordique. Oh, can I talk to Louise, please, Mr. Maurice Filion? Louise picks up the phone, says, hi, this is Ann White from Calgary. Yes, can, I, can we have Mr. Filion on the line? So she says, oh, wait a second. I'm going to go and see if she can take your call. She says, yes, Mr. Filion is, going, is on the line now. He will pick up. So Maurice Fillion picks up the phone, and I start in French, you know, and I tell him, hey, Maurice, Dan Bouchard here. Look, we're both in a predicament. If you don't make the playoff, you lose your job, and I need to make the playoff to get a new contract. So I says, look, I come and play for you. you we make a player, one-player deal for me here, and I said, we make the playoff, and the rest becomes history. And he says, whoa, 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 this is Dan Bouchard, and he's speaking French to me. And I says, yeah. He says, oh, wait, wait, wait a minute, I'll call right back. So I tell Louise, uh, you know, I tell uh, Ann White, I says, he's calling back. So she says, hmm, why is he calling back? I said, I don't know. So phone rings, Mr. Phil, and Louise says, is this really Calgary? Yeah, and she says, yeah, it's Calgary, four or three, oh, yeah. So she goes, okay. She says, uh, Mr. Filion wants to talk to Dan. So I talked to Dan. He said, Dan, what's going on? I says, well, look. He says, I'm trying to trade myself. And no, Cliff told me nobody wants me. So I figure if I come and play for you, we make the playoff. We're going to have Tardiff coming back, Ogunson, all that. I says, we'll make the playoff, no problem. I says, the rest is history. You're going to keep your job and everything's going to go great. Oh, he says, I cannot believe this. Says, You're trading yourself. I says, yeah. <laughs> so he says to me he says you know i had a little turmoil here with my goalie leaving in the middle of the game i says yeah i understand that i said and he's a great kid i says i know i know michelle very well but i says he says and i couldn't take a chance because he says the open line here like candid camera line a call line uh could have what i thought they were trying to catch me on something so i says I understand that. So he says, what do we do? Well, I says, look, Dalon turns out of the, the deal. Goulet's out of the deal. So I says, you know, I says, you got a guy, very high-ethic guy. And I says, I think they work with our two coaches, Al McNeil and Pierre Page in Arcadia in hockey school all summer. Uh, he says, you're talking about Jamie Essop. I says, yeah. He says, oh, he's a fan favorite. I says, listen, Maurice. You don't make chicken chicken salad with uh, chicken shit, you know. Right. You got to give something for something. You got to decide. I says, if you put that guy, I says, I'm going to set it all up with the coaches. And because what Cliff, if you call Cliff, Cliff says, I'm going to talk to my hockey people. And right now, the only hockey people he's got is uh, Al McNeil and Pierre Paget. And he says... What about David Poyle? He killed the last deal. I said, what last deal? Oh, he says, we tried to acquire you about six weeks ago, and they were asking for three players, and he says, something crazy. I says, yeah, that figures. But I says, look, it's going to be that easy this time. I says, you're playing tonight. We're playing tonight. We're going to Edmonton. So I said, I'm going to go in the dressing room, get prepared for my practice. He says, you guys are having your morning skate. And I says, let's talk again. 
I said, I'll call you back in two hours. I go back in the dressing room and I get on the bike and I'm pedaling the bike. Then Pache walks in and he starts to shoot the breeze with me. And he said, oh, you're really playing well. You know, I didn't know you were that good a goalie, you know. And I said, okay, well, good, very good. So also now McNeil walks in the training room to know where we're on the bike. And he, look, he comes over to me and he says, uh, ooh, you. I says, uh, I'm Dan Bouchard, the goalie. Huh, Dan Bouchard, the goalie. <laughs> I says, yeah. He says, uh, oh, well, you're not playing tonight. You're not making the trip. And uh, Pierre, Pierre said, wait, 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 wait. He just got player of the week last week. He, he's not playing. And Noel says like that, and he walks out of the room. Pierre says, well, wait, we'll finish my bike, and I'll go and talk to him. Pierre, just let it be. I says, Riggsy could use a good game. He says he, he's going to play well in Edmonton. So, you know, I'm trying to, to... So anyway... And that was Pat Riggins, right, when you said Riggsy, correct? Yeah, Pat Riggins, exactly. So he turns around, and he looks at me, and he says, oh, that, that doesn't work. So I didn't make the trip. While I was sitting with there with Page, I told Page, you know, we could, we could really, we can acquire uh, Jamie Eslop. I said, you put Jamie Eslop on this team. I says, it would be just perfect. <laughs> I said, great ethics on this team. Page says, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? He says, no, I'm not kidding you. I says, Quebec could let him go. So it stayed like that. He says to me, he says, uh, Danny, he says, uh, you're sure about that? So, yeah. Al McNeil walks in and Pierre says, you know, Jamie Eslop. Jamie Eslop, yeah. Hmm. Who is Jamie Eslop? He says, carrot hair, you know, the, the guy that came to camp with us the last two years. He run, he does a month of camp with us in Arcadia. Oh, yeah, Jamie. Oh, yeah, I like him. I like him. Well, he's available. Oh, we should get him. We should get him. He says, oh, he would be great here. So... I didn't say anything. I got off the bike. I went to do a few weights, and then I got out of the room. I went back into Ann White's office and says, "Get me Quebec." So you've negotiated, basically. So I call, <laughs> I call, I tell Al, Al McNeil and Page do hockey camps with them all summer, and they love him. They like his work ethics and all that. And I think it's be an easy sale. I think they swallow the hook, the the lead, everything debate everything so he goes really so he says okay i'm gonna call cliff and he says uh you he says you have a good game in edmonton i said oh, i'm not making the trip they just told me he said, what do you mean you're not making the trip well i says he just told me that i'm not making the trip so he started to laugh and he says okay well that's fine so to make a story short that night it was 7:45 in calgary which I'm sorry, 8.45 in Calgary, which is 10.45 yep. in Quebec City. And uh, the phone rang. And I pick up the phone and no more Trillion says, Hey, Dan. I says, yeah. You're a Nordique. I says, Morris, you made the playoff. <laughs> Morris says, oh, I hope so. <laughs> Morris will make the playoff. So I says, what's the deal? I'm going to go and get my equipment now, my sticks and all that. And I says, who has my information on the ticket? He says, you're ahead of me. He says, wait, Louis is going to give you everything. And he says, we'll see you tomorrow night. He said, we'll see you on the ice. I says, Thursday morning, I'll be on the ice. You finally get traded over. Was there any part of you that was sad 
to leave behind Calgary, an organization that you'd been with, I mean, your entire career? Well, when you play hockey with a lot of very good hockey players, but they're always complacent. Who care less? No, winning's not everything. You know, they used to tell me, I'm a maniac. I always want to win. There's only one guy that wins every night, that type of thing. You know, that makes it very difficult. So it was a tough organization. The guys weren't motivated and didn't have the passion that you no, had. No, did not motivate. Some of them, their hunting was the way, was their hockey was in the way of their hunting or fishing and or their drinking or you name it. So it was very difficult. You know, sometimes I had to buy guys lunch to have extra shots after practice. You, that kind of gives yeah. you right, you know. That gives me the idea of if you're having to get guys to stick around to take extra shots. It's pretty low. Have you ever heard of a player trading himself? I just love the back and forth between the GM of Quebec and the GM of the Calgary Flames. And here Dan's in the middle. And oh, by the way, if David Poyle hadn't left town, there's probably no way this trade would have happened. I just thought it was a really great story. Don't forget to join us again for part two of our interview on Thursday, which will drop at 8 a.m. We'll talk to Dan Bouchard about his time in Quebec. I've also got a few more interviews lined up this week. We're gonna go ahead and probably air one of those next week. But in the meantime, have a great week. We'll see you on Thursday for part two of our interview with Daniel Bouchard.